Hi, I'm Kelly Cervantes, and this is Seizing Light, a bi-weekly podcast produced by Cure Epilepsy. Today, I'm excited to welcome longtime friends of Cure Epilepsy, Patty and Patrick Horan. As a captain in the U.S. Army, Pat Horan was serving in Iraq in 2007 when he suffered a devastating traumatic brain injury that ultimately led to the development of post-traumatic epilepsy, or PTE. The onset of epilepsy significantly impacted Patrick's healing process and made an already difficult road to recovery much more challenging for Pat and Patty. They are here today to share their story and experiences and to bring attention to the issue of TBI and PTE among our veterans. Pat, Patty, thank you so much for joining us today on Seizing Life. I'm just so thrilled to have you on and to learn more about your journey. Uh, so I, I guess I'd love to take it from the beginning of, of the your injury. I, I You can tell us more about when where, how it occurred, and sort of your, your mental state at that time. I, I'd been in the Army for almost 10 years. And uh, in uh, 2007, that's when I, uh, I'd been in uh, Iraq for an, a year. And then uh, one night, we were going at, at night to uh, do a recon. So make make sure the uh, the bad guys weren't setting IDs for the next day. Um, so it was about two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. I went with uh, one of my uh, soldiers and I. We went. We we're going to go downstairs to get some water, and Gatorade, and all the stuff, and bring it back upstairs. And um, when we were about to go downstairs, um, across the street, I guess I'm not sure why, but I got. Two uh, Iraqis shot at us, and uh, my soldier he he jumped down, and I it was too late for me, and I got a shot right through my uh, my uh, my night vision that I was wearing, and so it exploded, and then from there it all just went into my uh, helmet, my helmet, yeah, or my brain also, and. Uh, I, uh, well, there's a small flap in the helmet, so the bullet actually snuck inside the helmet. And I, uh, I, I passed out. I don't remember any of that. It was about two months. But uh, one of my soldiers, he, uh, he was trying to call me on the radio. And then he ran back upstairs. And two of my soldiers had come over to see what I was doing, and he, um, my soldier, he, uh, he took off my helmet. And uh, and just saw that like half of my my brain was just gone. It was like destroyed. So yeah, they couldn't tell where the injury was. So they took off the helmet, which probably wasn't the best idea. And half his skull came off with it. Yeah. So they it was incredible. They the we went from there. It was about fifteen, fifteen, fifteen minutes away. We went to a uh, Baghdad, and then uh, less than ten minutes later, I was in a helicopter going to Balad, and I landed there like forty-five minutes later, and um, they did the surgery right away. Took off forty percent of my skull, 
And um, I was there for almost eight or nine hours, I think. And then I left. Yeah, Pat was really lucky, too, because that night he was the only one injured. And um, they had a clear road to get to the local field hospital. So you hear about the golden hour, which he, he did get medical within an hour. So he was very lucky that night. Yeah. It sounds like it's a miracle that you're talking with us today. I, I mean, I just, I, I can't even imagine, nor do I want to. Um, so you, you're in the hospital and they perform surgery or whatever needs to happen. Um, did anyone at this point, you, you, clearly have a traumatic brain injury. Did anyone mention post-traumatic epilepsy to you at this point? When I, when I got shot to Welland, I was in Bethesda, Maryland. They, it only took 36 hours and they had told the, uh, one of the, the doctors like the first, second day that, yeah, you need to start taking the, um, Kepra for my medicine. So, well, yeah, I, um, I arrived at um, the Naval Hospital in Bethesda, but you arrived there late Sunday night. I took a red eye from Seattle, Washington, and I ran, arrived in D.C. Uh, Monday morning, first thing, and was um, escorted to the hospital and got like a medical briefing right away. So um, this is Pat's skull, just to show you um, a model, how much is missing of the skull. And... Um, one of the first things they did in the briefing is give me the list of all the horrible things that could go wrong in the first three weeks that would end his life. So he was in the ICU. His head was so swollen, it looked normal, even though they had taken off um, probably 40% of the skull or had been um, fractured because of the bullet wound. Um, so one of the things on the, the list of probably 30 things that could go wrong is like infection, um, swelling, unable to, um, maintain like pressure, the pressure on the brain. Um, one big thing was seizure. So they did say if Pat has a seizure within the first three weeks that he would most likely pass away. So that was my first introduction to epilepsy. And did they say anything to you about what happens if he has a seizure after three weeks or to be on the lookout for that? No. So, um, I mean, that really stuck in my mind and he did not have a seizure and prophylactically they gave him Keppra in the ICU for the first couple of weeks. So um, thankfully at that point, we no epilepsy occurred. Hi, this is Brandon from Cure Epilepsy. Traumatic brain injury, or TBI, accounts for 20% of symptomatic epilepsy in the general population. Cure Epilepsy, in partnership with the Department of Defense, has implemented a research program focusing on post-traumatic epilepsy resulting from a traumatic brain injury. Go to cureepilepsy.org to learn what Cure Epilepsy is doing to fund research in the prevention and treatment of post-traumatic epilepsy. Now back to Seizing Life. How long in this journey are when you sort of come to and come to the realization of your circumstances? And I guess um, it would also be helpful to know, you know, how you're doing today and sort of how far you've come from this injury and, and the work that's gone into that. It took almost what, maybe six, 
weeks when I sort of started coming out. And, um, like, I went, after six weeks, then I went to uh, RIC in Chicago. And uh, I was wearing a helmet. For rehabilitation, right? Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't know. I, I thought I was just getting back to, to normal. And they put me back together and I go back to the Army. Like, I really didn't understand and yeah, they wait six months to do like a prosthetic surgery just to make sure everything's all healed up. So it's like six months with open, exposed brain. It's kind of scary. Yeah. I, I can't. I, it's just, it was wild to even think about. I, I mean, it's just. It is. And <laughs> we can live through something like this, actually. It's pretty amazing, like what the human yeah. body we can heal. Yeah. So we were in Chicago. We did, he did a lot of intense rehab and they did give me this really great book on uh, brain injury recovery. And it had all sorts of things from like the coma scale, like how they come emerge out of a coma and cognition levels. And it was was a great book. And there was a section on epilepsy. Um, No one really spoke to me much about it in Chicago. Just gave me the book. And I remember seeing the page on it and thinking that um, it was, a possibility. Um, but I just felt like, oh, you know, that's not, maybe that's not going to happen to us. But it did, unfortunately. And, it did. and can you tell us what happened when that, that first seizure occurred? I got lucky because I don't know anything that, to me happened. But uh, Patty said she woke up around like two o'clock in the morning and just all of a sudden I was having like a grandma seizure <laughs> and Patty had no idea what a grandma seizure was. No. So it was probably the scariest moment of my entire life. Honestly, I thought, I thought he was dying. It was four and a half months into recovery. And I thought, what in the world, you know, he came back a lot, you know, alive from this gunshot wound. We've worked really hard and now he's going to die tonight. That's. So <laughs> she went, Ran outside or not in the other room, looked for a nurse, and it took a couple minutes to find a nurse. And then they, the nurse went with Patty to the, my room, and the nurse was like, "Oh, she'll be, he'll be okay, he'll be okay. You know, he'll stop just having a seizure." Yeah, she identified as kind of normal for the you know brain injury that he had, but it was a full body, very violent, convulsive seizure. Yeah, it's it's hard to reconcile such a involuntary, violent body activity with normal, um, even given the extent of the in- injury. Um, now, when the seizure occurred, were you still taking Keppra at that time? No, we're not sure where or when, but I when I went from Bethesda to. Chicago, I just, just whatever reason I wasn't taking any uh, any uh, epilepsy uh, medicine. So yeah, the um the medication was removed from his regimen somewhere along the way, and in the early stages, I wasn't as honed in on the epilepsy and the seizure because there were so many things going wrong and so many things to pay attention to. So I think at some point they took him off just to see how the brain did. Um, But that was probably not the best move. There's really no way to know. And that's the the crazy thing about epilepsy and seizures is that it's a crapshoot. 
this, this particular and disease, um, to put it slightly crassly. Um, no, it really, it really is. Um, but at least like when it did surface, he was in bed, we were in a hospital, uh, we could get medical quickly. It was pretty amazing that night too, because it stopped and the nurse went away. And then 10 minutes later, it started again. So it was this rolling seizure situation, which was extremely dangerous. They called the paramedics from Northwestern, throw them on a gurney. We're running at like two in the morning through all these hallways because there's like these secret passageways from um, from RIC to Northwestern. So they had to get them on a dilantin drip like as soon as possible because it could cause more brain damage. So it was an exciting evening to say the least. But um but he did okay, um, but all the rehab that we'd worked on for months was just gone in like a blink. Yeah, and that was gonna over. be my very next question is just how, how did the appearance of seizures impact Pat's recovery? It was hard. I mean, most of his seizures were in the first couple of years, and that's when we were working the hardest and the brain was putting itself back together. He was making the most gains, but then we'd get these like horrible grand malls, and we were doing all sorts of different medication regimens trying to figure this out. So it really got in the way of recovery, um, and it was very deflating, you know, many times. Pat, are your seizures currently under control with medication? Or are you still experiencing seizures? Right now, I've been uh, been lucky. I haven't had a seizure in six or seven years. So that uh, is amazing. Congratulations! It is. And it is amazing. It's what What was the journey like to get to this stage of seizure freedom? Well, it was kind of interesting. Um, I was taking. I don't know how they did it that that first year but they kept trying to find these different medicine but then what they kept doing was keep taking uh kepra so then the kepra would go higher but they put something else with kepra and that's what it still wasn't working for me so like every month i'd have a seizure mm -hmm. and then had like seven different medications i think over the course of two years no, I had about 15 first two. <laughs> well, seizures, but medications. You tried seven or many different combinations. And so I finally, we had gone to um, University of Michigan for aphasia. And uh, I had a, uh, a seizure there. And uh, we were in the hospital. And I was taking Kepro. And I can't remember the other one that I was taking. Um, you had Carbidrol. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Patty was just like, the doctor, one of the doctors was out there in the hospital and she was just like, hey, he's like, my husband's not leaving until he takes the, um, Dipakote again. Cause I took it way back when I was in, uh, RIC. So yeah. Patty, like, I think I sat in the hospital for like 10 hours or something waiting cause Patty would not let me leave until I started taking Depakote yeah, Depakote seemed to be our magic bullet, but a lot of the um, physical medicine doctors through rehab didn't like it because it they felt it stunted the rehab and it stunted the brain from recovering. But that was what worked. So at the end of the day, we just went back to it because we um, it was just it seemed like also all of the seizures were stunting the rehab more than you know Depakote. So it became you know the lesser of two evils. It's a, I call it the epilepsy tightrope, where it is this balance between 
finding the right medication to control the seizures, but also still find some quality of life, still be able to make progress. But, you know, and it's, it's such a tricky thing. And I, you know, I think it's, it's such a, a difficult thing to get people to understand. They, they hear about these epilepsy medications and they think that they are cures and they are treatments, but you know, it sounds like from your experience and, and I'd love to hear you talk more about this, but you know, sometimes the side effects from these meds can be worse than the seizures themselves. Well, the one that I had and I was taking it for 10 years was a uh, Keppra. And that is for me, I guess it's just an angry medicine. And I was taking every morning. I take a, how do I say it? 3000 milligrams. Which is the top dose. So he was yeah. taking Keppra and Depakote. So, so finally about almost two years ago, because they had a, a really good uh, doctor and uh, Walter Reed, and um, he was like, "You need to get rid of uh, um, Keprows." And they yeah. and well, he- it's associated with rage, irritability, mood issues, which Pat was experiencing all of these. He was very angry. Um, we couldn't get him to participate in much anymore because of his level of irritability. Um, so he just kind of stopped participating in life. He was angry at everyone. So we finally decided, even just two years ago, to do this huge med change, which was scary. He had to be hospitalized in a monitoring unit um, for, what, five days? Five days and yeah. he was, like, tethered to an EEG. So it felt like, here we go, we're sick again. You know, we're not well. And then, then we even did, like, he did two weeks on the brain injury board there, too, to make sure there wasn't something else going on other than the Keppra, but it ended up being the medication. So we got rid of it without any issues, which was really huge. Um, so that was a win, but it was a lot, it's a lot to change meds too. Yeah. Yeah. These are serious drugs. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be like hospitalized and give up time in your life. And it's not just like that week. It's like a three month window that like possibly you're going to have a seizure. So he can't be alone. We have to like do, we, we have to be very safe in the things that we do. He can't go swimming. He can't do a lot of activities. So yeah. I'd love for you to tell me about the Stroke Comeback Center and the podcast called The Slow Road to Better. Well, I've been going to the uh, um, the Stroke Comeback Center. It's um, more than eight years I've been going there, and they've really been just gotten better reading and writing and talking. And, um, and so they started like three years ago. They decided, hey, well, let's just have a podcast. Uh, and we don't, you know, we're not like you know, big time doctors or, you know, speech, we know everything. It's like the one lady's from speech and she kind of just was like, all right, guys, let's get on there and just start saying whatever you want to talk about and different stories. And, and, uh, it was pretty fun. So, uh, it's been pretty good, you know, where is the center located and, and what are its goals? It's in, uh, it's called Vienna, Virginia. So that's like 20 minutes to uh, DC. It's a nice group of people that had stroke or brain injury. And there's definitely people that um, suffer from epilepsy there. And it's just a place where they can come together and talk about 
how life is different, you know, after injury or disease. And um, Pat really enjoys it. And it, it runs the gamut. They have people as young as in their 20s that had motorcycle accidents or, you know, army or military or people that are older and had strokes. So yeah. what is life like for both of you now? Well, I guess now we were just talking about, it's interesting, we just lost our doctor um, and we have this new team now over at Walter Reed and they have such a different way of treating like epilepsy. So um, because of COVID, we're not doing any changes with that, but um, our goal is monotherapy eventually. So we would like, to, we, he's on Briviac instead of Keppra. So um, that's coming up, I hope, in the next year, but we're going to wait until hopefully there's a vaccine or something because we don't want to put Pat in jeopardy. Um, there's not a whole lot to do, you know, COVID. It's kind of taken away a lot of um, the recreational activities, and he's doing stroke comeback still virtually. Um, there's a program through Wounded Warrior Project um, that's giving him a mentor, so they might do some things virtually. Um, but everything, we're kind of home. Yeah. Patty, I know that you personally have uh, made such an impact uh, with Cure Epilepsy's DOD panel. I'd love to hear about your experience uh, with the panel and, and helping us with the grant. Sure. Uh, being on the panel is uh, it's really exciting and it's a great honor for me to be participating. And post-traumatic epilepsy, uh, there is no cure right now. And I think it's a great place to spend research dollars because there's an understanding of why um, the service members have the epilepsy. Um, and there is a place in that from onset of injury to epileptogenesis, to the process where it could possibly stop, be stopped. And that's uh, where we focus uh, a lot of the science in the panel on um, from injury point to actual first onset of seizure. Um, for Pat, it was four months. There, and for a lot of service members, there is this window of recovery and then the seizure happens. Um, and that's our focus and it's exciting, all the science and research that's coming, um, coming up. And there's a lot of collaboration between scientists and among labs because CURE and DOD requires it. So um, I feel like that uh, the science is being pushed forward a lot faster than in some of the other programs. And um, we're going to meet, reconvene again uh, early in the new year. And I'm really excited about what, what we're going to learn and the new research that comes forward. I think that is such a fascinating point that you make that, you know, the idea of preventing epilepsy from ever occurring. You know, I think so much we focus on curing it after it's already happened. But if you have these service members where you know that they are high risk in developing this because they've had the TBI. If you know that window and there are preventative measures that we can take so that they never even, the epilepsy never occurs, that way they never have these setbacks in therapy and, and they can lead these more full lives. It's really, it's encouraging to think that, you know, we could really make a huge, huge impact in these service members' lives and, and you know, and anyone who suffers a TBI, be it, you know, from a, a car accident or, um, or, or some other, a fall or, so I just, um, 
you are pushing science forward. And I know the Cure Epilepsy family is just so grateful for your contributions. Thank you both so, so much for sharing your journey and your story. I, I'm just, again, so grateful for your service to our country, but also to this community. Um, I just, I can't thank you enough. Yeah. Well, thank you for having us on today. Yeah. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thank you, Pat and Patty, for sharing your story and providing a personal perspective on the impacts of TBI and PTE. While research has established a correlation between TBI and PTE, we still don't fully understand the mechanisms that lead to the development of epilepsy. That's why Cure Epilepsy has partnered with the Department of Defense to implement a research program focusing on PTE as a result of TBI. By establishing a multi-center, multi-investigator research team to study PTE in a laboratory setting, we will lay the groundwork for the creation of new therapies to prevent the development of PTE. If you'd like to support Cure Epilepsy in its efforts to prevent post-traumatic epilepsy, please visit cureepilepsy.org forward slash donate. Your support and generosity are greatly appreciated. Thank you. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Cure. The information contained herein is provided for general information only and does not offer medical advice or recommendations. Individuals should not rely on this information as a substitute for consultations with qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with individual medical conditions and needs. Cure strongly recommends that care and treatment decisions related to epilepsy and any other medical condition be made in consultation with a patient's physician or other qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with the individual's specific health situation.